0: Today's show is brought to you by Pleasureland RV, best in the Midwest. Learn more at PleasurelandRV.com. Today's show also brought to you by The Vault at Stock and Barrel in Egan, a collection of specialty and pre-owned firearms for collectors and enthusiasts. Learn more at StockandBarrel.com. Welcome everybody to WCCO Outdoors on News Talk eight three zero on this Sunday, November nineteenth, twenty twenty three. Entering the big Thanksgiving holiday week, uh, I know a lot of folks already on the road. You've got more folks working from home that uh, gives them the flexibility to travel. Avoid uh, avoid Wednesday and Thursday travel. So uh, good luck to those folks. Uh, we've uh, we have officially wrapped up the uh, the the Zone one hundred area deer hunting. Uh, and uh, that means uh, we'll we'll get a little better deer count or uh, count on the harvest here as we uh, as the week unfolds. I am Rob Jerisline, By the way, I'm the host here every week, live and local. Uh, I hope uh, you enjoy the next 60 minutes of this broadcast. Uh, we will have uh, we'll have a gal, Sabrina Chandler. She is the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh, Complex Manager for the Upper Mississippi River National Wildlife Refuge. She'll be with us in about 10 minutes or so. We will talk to her about a non game topic. We're going to talk a lot of game issues here, like, like I always do, but, uh, kind of a fun topic. I, you know, I'm an old river rat and a pretty neat thing that always happens this time of year is when the tundra swans show up on the Mississippi River. If you haven't witnessed it, it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a lower 48 wildlife spectacle. And I want to talk to Sabrina a little bit about that. Uh, Bottom of the hour, we'll get back, we'll talk uh, deer hunting, specifically chronic wasting disease and where we are at with CWD so far this year in Minnesota. Uh, Kind of compare and contrast what's been going on in Wisconsin. I think I did that a little bit on this show last week. I also wrote my column about it uh, in in Outdoor News uh, this past week. Uh, and as I probably alluded to, yeah, any any CWD positives here in Minnesota is bad. But uh, as bad as it can be here, it's far far worse across the river in Wisconsin. So we will uh, we will talk with Eric Hildebrand. He's uh, with the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. He's a wildlife uh, health uh, supervisor. Uh, he's out there uh, banging away trying to make sure we uh, we can keep some of these wildlife diseases under control. Uh, We've got, like I started to say, so the uh, the three B season kicked off yesterday in southeast Minnesota. That will go through a week from today. So still, you know, deer hunting really in the heart of of some really good uh, whitetail habitat down in southeast Minnesota. That goes this coming week. But yeah, as we as we speak, we've got um, we got sun. The sun is setting, and uh, that means that deer hunting is over in northeastern Minnesota. uh, And we'll get we'll get some counts on that. Another, you know, some other seasons wrapping up here. Uh, over the next week if you were a waterfowler and and I've got a pond behind my home saw some ducks out there today while I was uh, wrapping up some yard work now we do have uh, some ducks still in the state because it's been so warm Uh, things have not frozen over that's another reason those tender swans are hanging out down in the Mississippi River Uh, so uh, you can still duck hunt uh, in the northern zone i think it's through tuesday the 21st and then basically the rest of the state the central and southern zone ends a week from today so you know sometimes waterfowlers we have a tough time uh you know if, if you get an early ice up right and it's a 60-day season it doesn't matter if If, uh, if the state ices up on November 1st, that means you, you know, you really only had a, you know, a 40 day season because the ducks bail when, when things ice over. Well, that didn't happen this year. I mean, we had a little bit of ice up. We had some cold there, but then it opened back up and that's why there's, there's still some ducks in the state. So it looks like Minnesota waterfowlers are going to be enjoying most of, uh, of this year's, um, they're going to get to enjoy the full season and, and that's good when you get the, when you get the full 60 days. Uh, and then of course goose hunting continues uh, through just about all of December and anybody you know, everybody out there thinks there's too many geese well that's why that uh, goose season uh, goes later and also because the geese stick around right uh, some of them will will leave the state but uh, they're you know they're bigger they can handle the cold a little better so even when things ice up you still get some good field hunting for canada geese in minnesota deep into december a couple news topics I thought maybe I would broach before we grab a break. Uh, outdoor news, we had an interesting story this week about a, uh, a white-tailed doe that was shot during, uh, it was uh, on November 4th, opening of Minnesota's firearm season. Not exactly man bites dog, right, uh, that, that, uh, that a doe was taken. Ah uh, but this one had antlers, folks. and uh, you know, there are some species in the in the deer family, notably caribou slash reindeer, where the females the does also have antlers. Not so with our with our good old fashioned uh, white tailed deer. Uh, does uh, do not sport antlers unless there's some sort of problem and um that does happen occasionally uh, and and uh, nice story by Eric Morgan in this week's outdoor, he's kind of explaining when that happens. sometimes what you'll see. Is you'll see a doe, and, and it's, it's extremely rare, but it'll have a, a small set of antlers, and they'll still have velvet on them. And Morgan's story, he quotes from from the, from the DNR, explaining that what happens is those does do not get that push of testosterone that that moves the antlers out of the velvet stage into the you know the hard antler, hard boned antler stage, and that's why you'll see that. This one was interesting because that wasn't the case; there was no velvet. Uh, and it's not a; it's kind of a cute little symmetrical eight-point rack uh, on this deer, uh, and um, so so interesting. It, it's it, it's one of those stories that you, know, you could you could write that just about every year. You know, someone shoots a, shoots a doe with with antlers, the lady war horns kind of thing. But um, I thought this one was interesting, and that's why we uh, we kind of um, um, highlighted that in this week's uh, print edition of Outdoor News. Uh, another story that broke late last week, we've got it on com. I think other news sources also had it. Uh, a cougar was shot down in Buffalo County, Wisconsin. That's right across the river, basically, from Winona. Uh, you know, we get some cougar reports here in Minnesota, and everyone, you know, the DNR et al. pretty much chalks them up to some wayward young males leaving uh, western Nebraska and the Black Hills. They've got a population there uh and but to me when it gets across the river in wisconsin that's kind of a big deal Uh, and this this was absolutely verified uh the first cougar shooting case in 115 years over in the badger state and no charges were filed even though it was illegal you're not you know these are protected animals in both of our states but this uh, is a 39 year old wisconsin bowhunter i believe he was from uh, eau claire wisconsin uh said that he a hundred percent felt like this thing was threatening him that it was just about to come up the tree and and so he he took the shot and i guess he convinced the local conservation officers and the county attorney that that was the case the story in outdoor news i think uh, ben Karasich is the name of the hunter makes it he makes a solid case that he felt like he was being threatened and i've never been in that situation i hate to see you know a beautiful animal like this you know, die, especially when it's protected. But if uh, this gentleman's life was genuinely threatened as the COs and the, and the district attorney agreed, well, then uh, I guess the, that's that's how the situation ended up. Uh, but, again, you can read all about it at outdoornews.com if you want to read more about that story. Uh, stick around. I'm here until uh, 6 o'clock. Uh, coming up next on the broadcast, we're going to talk Tundra Swans with a representative of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So don't go away. More WCCO Outdoors after these messages. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. Rob Dresline host of the program here every Sunday, back with you on this Sunday, November 19th, 2023. We're here until 6 p.m. We're going to talk about tundra swans here in just a moment. Reminder, everybody, that uh, the muzzleloader hunt already kicks off next Saturday, November 25th. Truly a harbinger of late-season deer hunting when uh, folks get the black powder going. But we still have some regular firearms deer hunting cooking, uh, especially down in southeastern Minnesota. That 3B hunt started yesterday and runs through a week from today. And, of course, today marked the end of the regular firearms hunting season up in northeastern Minnesota, the 100-series deer deer permit areas, uh, kind of the traditional deer camp part of the state. they got a nice long season up there, but uh, as we have discussed, not as many deer as perhaps we would like. Uh, stick around. After this segment, we are going to talk with Eric Hildebrand a little bit about chronic waste disease and what's going on in Minnesota, especially uh, compared to across the border in Wisconsin. Hey, as promised, I want to talk tundra swans a little bit, and we're going to chat with Sabrina Chandler. Uh, she is the manager of the Upper Mississippi River National Wildlife Refuge. Uh, you're based out of uh, Winona, yep, my yep, old stomping ground. Sabrina, is that right?
1: Yep, I sit in Winona, Minnesota. That's where my office is. And uh, our main headquarters for the refuge is located there, as well as our Winona district staff.
0: Well, it's been an absolutely beautiful fall down there. Another nice, gorgeous weekend. I got to think a lot of folks are enjoying the sights and sounds of the upper Mississippi River, which include... Uh, tundra swans beginning to appear down there correct
1: yep we're seeing quite a few showing up got a, a push of cold weather that pushed a bunch of birds in we've had a couple of days in the 60s which is a treat for november and uh expecting to see another push of birds probably here in the next couple of days with this next round of cold weather
0: yeah. And I mean, with Thanksgiving looking really chilly, I got to think that's going to push whatever's north of us down uh, for good before the river freezes up. Let's talk a little bit about this tundra swan migration. It's a really cool thing that I enjoyed when I lived down on the river. Uh, these tundra swans, they're different from trumpeter swans, correct? The trumpeters, they live among us here in Minnesota these days, Uh but the uh, the tundras are migratory, right? Where Where are they coming from and where are they going?
1: Yeah, the tundra swans, uh, they breed in the Arctic, uh, thus the name tundra swans. They, they spend most of their time during our summer, uh, on the, the tundra in the Arctic, Alaska, Canada. And then they come through um, the refuge here, uh, the Upper Miss Refuge, on their way to the Chesapeake Bay, which is where they spend their winters. And uh, it's a really cool migratory pattern that we see in those birds, you know, stopping along the river here. And then they get to a certain point, usually around Pool 13, based on some transmitter data that we've seen and research. Uh, and they make a beeline for the Chesapeake Bay, really cool migratory patterns that they use.
0: So let's talk about where you're likely to see them. You, you, you could see them, what, from Weaver Bottoms, which is, what pool is that? Is that like pool four?
1: Yeah, pool four, uh, Weaver Bottoms is a really good area. There's lots of backwater, uh, vegetation in there, shallow water where they can feed. Um, so we see them there. That's, that's probably one of the best spots on the northern end in the Winona district of the refuge. It's broken up into four districts. So, you know, as you move further south on the refuge, we, we see birds showing up, um, on the Tremplow Refuge, which is directly adjacent to the Upper Mess Refuge in Pool 6. Uh, and then we see them in Pool 7. Pool 8 is really, uh, one of the larger hotspots. Uh, it's not unusual for us to see tens of thousands of birds, uh, in Pool 8 near the Brownsville area, Brownsville, Minnesota. Uh, we have an overlook there where it's a just amazing, uh, viewing spot for tundra swans. Directly across the river on the Wisconsin side, south of Stoddard, Wisconsin, uh, we see a lot of tundra swans using that area. Near another overlook that we have called the Shady Maple Overlook. Once you get further south of there, it's kind of hit or miss. You might see some in Pool 9. uh, And then they really show up again in Pool 13 in large flocks near uh, Spring Lake, which is near Savannah, Illinois.
0: I remember in the early 90s seeing them along Ricks Lake. Uh, by mm-hmm. Alma, I, I don't know. Do you still see a few there or? There's do, still a few not?
1: there. Um, we've actually got a, a pretty good group of trumpeter swans. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, they're uh, more resident birds uh, that have been hanging out there. So that's a good place to see both. Um, mm-hmm. There are a few tundra swans there. That area um, has changed uh, just with sedimentation and some other things going on there. Um, we don't see them as much there as we do in some of the other areas, but they do do still hang out uh, around Ricks Lake there near Alma, Wisconsin.
0: That was a great spot to see them because they were right there. I mean yeah. it was, They were really close. They've got a really cool call, don't they? Kind of that whistling, calling call. Yeah. a little different from the Trumpers, which literally sounds like a horn blaring. Uh, you'll sometimes hear these swans at night. I, I do in late November or sometimes even in the early December at night. It seems like they fly fly over at night and they make that just gorgeous whistling call.
1: Yep. I uh, I had a, a chance to hear some last night. I live in Trimpleau, Wisconsin, and uh, the birds flying over last night as I was letting the dog out. And uh, just an amazing uh, sound for sure, that whistle. They actually uh, have the nickname whistling swans uh, because of that call that they make. But, yeah, they're definitely uh, very prevalent Um, in this time of year when they're migrating through at night. You can definitely hear them. They like to make sure you know they're there.
0: I believe when I was a kid, they were called whistling swans. That was their official name. And then someone decided, well, they're circumpolar, and whistling doesn't necessarily (laughs) encompass that, so they went with the name tundra swans. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, But, yeah, they do have that distinctive whistling call. Thanks for tuning into the broadcast. I'm Rob Gerislein. We are chatting with Sabrina Chandler. She's the manager of the Upper Mississippi River National Wildlife Refuge. She's based out of Winona. We're talking about a really cool rite of fall down on the river. Uh, If you've never checked it out, the migration of the tundra swans through that corridor is remarkable. And, you know, maybe it's not quite as exciting as it used to be since we see swans, trumpeter swans now everywhere. Uh, across Minnesota. I mean, we've got, I don't know, sixty, seventy thousand 70,000 of them now. So that, yeah, maybe it's taking the sheen off the whole swan thing a bit. We take them all a bit for granted. Are trumpeter swans, you know, Sabrina, they're just a hair larger? Or uh, do they, you know, you said like at Rick's Lake, you see them both. Can you, is it hard to tell the difference?
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty difficult to tell the difference uh, at a distance. You know, they are very similar in size. Wingspan, usually around five feet, maybe a little greater pretty large birds. The the key difference between the tundra swan and the trumpeter swan is actually something that maybe if they're close enough to see them with binoculars, you could tell. But the tundras have uh, just a little yellow spot at the base of their bill near their eye. And then the trumpeters would just have a solid black bill. That is really the primary way for you to mm-hmm. be able to truly identify between the two species.
0: What exactly are they eating, Sabrina, when they're coming down through the corridor? They're they're vegetarians for the most part, right? They're the most leading plants. So what is the food source on Upper Miss that keeps attracting these birds year after year?
1: Tundra swans, you know, when they're visiting the refuge here, they're really going to be looking for what their favorite candy is, that, that tuber of the arrowhead plant. Uh, they're using their feet and their bills to... To dig around in the muck at the bottom of uh, the water and and pulling those tubers out, that's really what they're here for. That's where we really see the large congregations of birds is where we have those tubers available to them in the backwaters. Once they go over to the Chesapeake Bay, they do kind of switch their diet and they'll uh, eat some clams or mussels or something like that. But they are primarily vegeta- vegetarians and those tubers are really what gives them those Good energy uh, to continue their migration.
0: I presume they eat some wild celery tubers also, right? There's good valeria beds on the river. Yeah,
1: yeah, lots of area, the wild celery. Uh, we see canvasbacks really prefer right, that um right. that's where their sweet spot is certainly tundra swans would eat any tuber um the the wild celery definitely has a smaller tuber they can get a bigger bang for their buck with the arrowhead they tend to prefer that one but uh they're not going to turn down a tuber that's that's where they get that good starchy carbohydrates to fuel that migration
0: well you brought up the cans i gotta ask how was overall duck migration you see uh, you see good migrations of divers seeing- like canvasbacks backs this year
1: yeah, we're seeing some birds showing up. You know, it's just been a weird season with the weather fluctuating back and forth. So we're seeing some birds coming in now. We lost some birds with that last push of cold weather. We gained some birds back. But I would say we're probably on a pretty good uh average track for what we would typically see this time of year. You know, they're spread out in the pools when we look at the swans out at Brownsville overlook we're seeing a really good mix of diving ducks dabblers and and the swans and the geese so yeah i'd say we're in full swing for sure here in migration and and seeing pretty standard numbers for what we would expect traditionally
0: i want to be clear uh, there is no hunting of any swans in minnesota or wisconsin i believe there might be a little bit of tribal hunting in, in northern uh, minnesota for for some trumpeters i think they've they've taken a few but Uh, Overall, these are not huntable birds here yet. Uh, We do have tundra swan hunting, I believe, in the Dakotas, certainly North Dakota, but uh, they're not a species we chase uh, with with shotguns uh, in this part of the world. Even though, I got to think, a bird that eats all those tubers probably isn't bad eating, Sabrina.
1: It probably is not. I haven't had one myself, but I do have some friends who have uh, harvested them in North Dakota and, and they are uh, very proud of of that opportunity, but uh, I haven't had that fortune yet, but uh, I definitely would think with their food source, they're, they're a pretty tasty bird.
0: Well, you expect the the swans to hang around for how long? Will they stick around until ice up?
1: They typically will, yeah. Um, and with the mild temperatures we've had, you know, usually we see our biggest peak around Veterans Day, uh, mid-November. Uh, you know, sometimes around Thanksgiving we're already seeing ice on the river and they're long gone. That's not going to be the case this year. We we expect that they'll hang around for a couple more weeks until we get some solid ice out there, but. Uh, yeah, that's usually the driver. When things start to freeze up, they'll keep it open for a little bit and then they'll eventually decide that it's it's better for them to head on down to the Chesapeake Bay. So uh, that's that's typically the sign. When, when everything starts freezing up, we'll start losing birds.
0: There are a number of overlooks along Highway 61 on the uh, Minnesota side to get a view of, uh, of these birds.
1: Uh, highway 35 on the Wisconsin side and then 61 and then down to highway 26 on the Minnesota side. Um, those are going to be your primary opportunities, you know, down further, uh, south. We'll get, um, back onto highway 61 and see some other viewing. You know, the, the refuge covers 261 river miles. And, uh, like I said, the, the furthest extent that we really see the swans hanging out is pool 13 and then they'll start to take a turn east.
0: Well, thank you for this thorough explanation of swans. It's a great opportunity to, to see some, uh, you know, an incredible wildlife migration that occurs every year. Thanks for the explanation, Sabrina, and good luck this fall.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Rob.
0: Yeah, have a great Thanksgiving. Sabrina Chandler from Upper Mississippi River National Wildlife Refuge checking in with us about the tunderswans. Uh, cruising through the Upper Miss Corridor as we speak. Let's get in a break. We'll have more of the broadcast after these messages. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830 on this Sunday, November 19th, 2023. Rob Drieslein back with you for another segment. Hey, I I alluded earlier, I want to talk a little bit about chronic wasting disease and kind of where things are at here in Minnesota, comparing it to Wisconsin. That's what I wrote uh, my column about this week. And joining us uh, for a segment is Eric Hildebrand. He's with the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources, is the title Wildlife Health Supervisor? Do I have that right, Eric? It
2: is, Rob. Yep.
0: How long have you been with the agency? 10, 12 years now? It, well,
2: it'll be 15 years in, in February.
0: That is amazing. Well, congratulations. You've done a great job there. Thank you. Uh, I know a lot of people speak very highly of you, folks like uh, that I respect, like Lou Cornicelli. You've been in the thick of it, monitoring CWD uh, your whole career pretty much, haven't you?
2: Very much so, yeah. I started with bovine TB up in the Northwest and Right into the thick of things, like you said, CWD, southeast part of the state, and now more recently. We have six management zones across the entire state in various parts, all the way up from the northwest to north central down to the southeast. So it's not just in the southeast anymore.
0: It's kind of good to do a little recap of CWD history in Minnesota. It really blew up in what, 2002 when we found our first CWD positive at a game farm? It was an elk, actually. And then I told me if I'm wrong, I think then we had a CW positive deer in a game farm in 06. And then our first wild positive, was it, uh, uh, it was shot in 2010 and and revealed as a positive in like January of 2011. Do I kind of yeah. have that right?
2: You're spot on, Rob. Yep. Okay. You're correct. Yep.
0: And then we didn't find another wild deer for five years, right?
2: Right. Yeah. Then we we move into 2016, the Preston area.
0: And then it's, I wouldn't say it's blown up, but we've had more than a couple hundred positives since then.
2: Yeah, yep. Currently, to date, we're up to 218 positives in Minnesota, wild deer. Uh, like you mentioned, that one in 2010. So you take that one out of the equation. So we're sitting at 217 since 2016.
0: And mostly in the Southeast, we've got a couple of hotspots. One kind of is at Fillmore County, and then the other one. Closer to the river, uh, just north of where I hunt in Winona County. Actually, we've had a couple south of where I hunt also. And then we've got a couple that have popped up in some other parts of the state, too. Dakota County and then Grand Rapids was was one of the two positives this year, right?
2: Yeah, yep. Grand Rapids was this year as well. We also have Crow Wing County and then out by uh, Climax area
0: out in uh, the North Dakota border. And those have kind of been onesie-twosies, is that right?
2: Yeah, those those outstate ones outside of the southeast. We went onesie twosies exactly. Um, and and you're right, down in the southeast we we're seeing that persisting infection in those two kind of core areas you mentioned.
0: What do you think's responsible? Why are we why are they popping up in a couple other spots? Like you say, they're not core areas yet, and we hope we keep them that way, but what do you think is the cause of them kind of popping up in those areas? It just seems kind of random. They're isolated from from other spots where we've got hot zones.
2: No, that's a million-dollar question, Rob. We don't know. I don't know. Uh, this disease, it's, it's not bacteria-based, virus-based, so you can't strain-type it. Where we could with the bovine TB effort, we, we could strain-type that bacteria-based disease, and, and we knew where it came from, a cattle farm up in that part of the state. This disease, it's, the prion is very persistent, and it can move with carcasses, or it can move with live deer, and even natural movements of deer. As an infected deer would naturally move across the landscape, they could take the disease with them. So there's various routes that can move. And, uh, you know, it is disheartening to find those pop-up spots, like you mentioned, but keeping tabs on what's going on in those areas and keeping up with surveillance and getting sample numbers to identify how prevalent it is. It is in those areas is pretty important.
0: What is DNR doing to try to make sure these hot spots or these little isolated areas don't grow, that we that we keep them small and it doesn't become like we're going to talk about, like this Wisconsin problem?
2: Yeah, when, when we do identify a location where we have a confirmed wild positive deer, we set up a management zone. And that's usually the, the encompassed deer perimeter area or DPA where we put carcass movement restrictions in place. So this would al- not allow. A hunter to move an entire intact carcass untested outside of that disease uh, outside of that management zone because those prions can persist in the neurologic tissue spinal column the brain and and if the hunter brought it say 100 miles away butchered the deer through the carcass on the landscape to decompose on the back 40 that's one way this disease can go to spread to a new area we also employ a feeding and attractant band. and so that's not necessarily aimed at hunters but more so uh, because you can't bait in Minnesota already, but this is more so aimed at wildlife watchers where we don't want to artificially concentrate deer at a, at an artificial feed site because nose-to-nose contact, this disease can spread
0: through that mechanism. You and I were talking a little bit off air, and one quote-unquote good thing, at least you know, relatively good thing, is that, yeah, we've had 218 positives in Minnesota, but relatively few of those have been hunter harvested, correct? Why is that important? And and can you speak to that, those metrics a little bit?
2: Yeah, yeah, I I don't want to lose sight of that. That's a very important point, Rob, because, you know, annually we have, say, I'll say 180,000 deer harvested in Minnesota. We sample in our CWD management and surveillance zones. Um, Last year, we had just over 13,000 deer tested for CWD. 26 of those were confirmed positive by, uh, those are hunter harvested deer, 26 confirmed hunter harvested deer. I have a note that I keep on my desk that, you know, reminds me that CWD is a rare event in Minnesota. I, I threw this some, some numbers at you right there, but in the, the big picture, we do not have Rampant disease on the landscape. We don't have high prevalence numbers like some of the other states that are facing. But a lot of this is is attributed to what DNR, but also what hunters and what the public does. You know, this is not just a DNR issue, but this is everybody coming together to help combat this hunters, wildlife watchers, all sorts
0: of folks. So a lot of these CWD positives, they're not hunters that are shooting a deer and testing it and saying, well, you're not, you don't want to eat that because it, it ended up being a, a positive deer. They're deer that we have a sharp shooting program or are, are there a few being found dead on the landscape that, that are also contributing to that tally? Yeah. The
2: Yep. Yep. So we do have um, our, we call agency culling, or like you said, sharpshooting. That is during the winter, very, very focused. It's almost like a surgical strike. So the surveillance, when a hunter provides the sample, when it's a positive detection, that's the beacon that shows. And then we come in with our agency culling operation and have that sort of surgical strike, very focused within two miles of that positive location is all we focus on. We did what we call 542 deer all winter last year. And we had just over 26 confirmed positives through that effort. So um, we have that. You mentioned the found deads. We do have a, a handful of samples over the years. When the public reports a clinical sick deer, um, it was, has been dispatched by a CO or some found dead deer that just look very sickly when they're found dead. We've tested those and we have had some confirmed positives through
0: those methods. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. I am Rob Drieslein. We're chatting with Eric Hildebrand from the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. He is the agency's wildlife health supervisor, and he's kind of bringing us up to date on the status of CWD in Minnesota, chronic wasting disease, and its management uh, via uh, the state agency, the Minnesota DNR. Let's look across the, the border a little bit just kind of to provide some context. Yeah, we've had 218 positives here since 2016.
2: Yeah, yep, 217 positives since 2016.
0: That compares to Wisconsin, where they've had over eleven thousand going back over a longer time, going back to the early two thousands. By the time Wisconsin found out they had CWD, it was clearly a problem on the landscape. It was it was a bigger issue. They got you were telling me off air, they got away from some of this sharpshooting what in, in 05 06. And it probably has not helped in terms of trying to limit the spread of this thing, right? That's
2: right. Yeah, unfortunately. They had a very aggressive measures, 2002 to 2006. And uh, they were holding that apparent prevalence at very low numbers and kind of had the rug removed from them. And and, uh, that disease really took off from that
0: point. Yeah, they took kind of took their foot off the gas, and and CWD really ramped up over there. Uh, I believe there's some counties, what Dane County, which is Madison area, and then a little west of there, Iowa and Sauk counties, where uh, isn't the prevalence rate like forty percent or something like that?
2: Yep, yep, pretty high.
0: Our prevalence rate is even in our quote unquote hot zones is is like portions of a percent, isn't it?
2: Yes, yep. Our in our core areas in the southeast where we have persistent infection, we're still holding at about one percent.
0: So that just provides folks a little bit of context to to your point that uh, it is a rare event here still in Minnesota. We want to keep it that way. Uh, We do have it kind of creeping west. Uh, We've got two new counties in Wisconsin that have had positives for the first time. The Wisconsin DNR reporting that in early November. Trumpeville County, which is my old stomping grounds, uh, as well as Polk County, which is pretty close to the Twin Cities, just, just northeast of the Twin Cities a bit. Is that something that keeps you up at night? Eric, are you worried about that, that that it does, CWD is creeping, uh, you know, closer to Minnesota in a state where they're, they've taken their foot off the, the throat of this thing a little bit?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that fits our, our response plan. We do surveillance on our side of the border based on risk. And one of those risks are a neighboring border state that has a positive. And so we'll talk with Wisconsin DNR. Um, once their deer season is over, they get their test results in and see what kind of sampling numbers they did collect uh, on their side of the border.
0: Your biologists, you and some other folks will commiserate with some of those same folks on the Wisconsin side of the border. Has that something you've been doing every year, Eric, or is that new?
2: Yeah, no, we we do that every year. The the tri-state area, especially um, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, we talk every year. We also actually talk every third Tuesday for two hours in the morning. We have a conference call with all the Midwest state's Just about CWD, so there's Hmm. a lot of communication that CWD generates for the the State Department's uh, Game and Fish and and DNRs.
0: And CWD testing is mandatory in some parts of Minnesota, correct?
2: Yep, for Minnesota, we had mandatory sampling the opening weekend of firearms only. So that was November 4th and 5th. Mm -hmm. Those are the only two. The next, we will have a a CWD late hunt, um, and that's identified so far in some of the DPAs in the Southeast and South Metro. Once we get our test results from this firearms opening weekend, if we have more areas that have uh, positive cases, we may add in DPAs, but that won't be until we get all of our test results, which I hope will be by by next week.
0: So you certainly encourage anybody who wants to get their deer tested to do that. You can get Mm -hmm. details at mndnr.gov.
2: Absolutely, yeah. We we have uh, a few ways that any hunter... Anywhere in the state can, can get the deer tested. We have a, a free mail-in kit program. So you can uh, log in your credentials on the DNR website that you just mentioned, Rob. And we will actually mail you a kit. The hunter is responsible for cutting out the lymph nodes, but everything is free. All the UPS postage is already applied and paid for. The, the hunter would just have to cut the sample, enter
0: some data, and then drop it off at the nearest UPS store. Awesome. Well, let's do what we can to keep CWD under control here in Minnesota. Thanks for all you do, Eric, and thanks hey, for joining it. me for a segment. Thanks, Rob. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. Always good to catch up with you. That was Eric Hildebrand from the Minnesota DNR, bringing us up to speed on chronic wasting disease in Minnesota. Let's break more of the broadcast after these messages. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. Rob Dreesline with you for the final segment of this week's broadcast. Thank you so much for tuning in on this Sunday November 19th 2023 I follow a kind of a interesting little uh, item on Twitter <laughs> a handle on Twitter I'm sorry uh, it, uh, it involves military history it said on this day in 1863 160 years ago to the day Abraham Lincoln delivered the Gettysburg address I thought that was worth pointing out on this evening's broadcast arguably the most eloquent eloquent speech in uh, in American history I want to thank our guests. We had uh, Sabrina Chandler, who was with us earlier, talking a little bit about tundra swans on the Mississippi River. And I tell you what, if there's some young single guys out there, let me give you a little word of advice. You know, if you're like me, you got it, you got a beard, right? You probably just finished deer hunting for a week to 10 days. You've been away from the house. Uh, your gal probably puts up with you a lot uh, this time of year when you're out hunting and fishing. And, and that's great. We appreciate you know all the all of the women who put up with us uh, for, with our with our outdoor activities. If you want to earn some points with your gal, and show show your sensitive side, take them down to the Mississippi River and check out the ton, the tundra swans. Uh, it's it's a beautiful spectacle. If you say, "Hey, I want to show you something," let's take a little day trip. Let's drive down to the river. They're going to be shocked that you've got a sensitive side like that. So uh, young single guys out there dating a gal, thinking about maybe uh, taking the next step, popping the question. Well, like I say, you can improve your odds, show your sensitive side by uh, taking a little day trip maybe here. Uh, Yeah, pull pull an afternoon of a PTO or maybe uh, this Friday and go check out the Tundra Swans. It is truly an amazing, amazing spectacle. Uh, uh, lots of deer news, like we've we've been talking about. I see Dennis Anderson had a very lengthy piece in uh, the Star Tribune uh, talking about, you know, the the big uh, herd of uh, elephants, but with teeth, the wolves in the corner. I guess you might say. Uh, Everyone is very concerned that the the reason we're not killing enough deer is because of the wolves, especially up north in northeastern Minnesota. And Dennis uh, writing a, a thorough story about this. Uh, you know, I have no doubt that uh that wolves are are you know a primary factor for why probably why why deer are not bouncing back up there. You know, I think I think we've had some tough winters that knocked the the deer back, and I think it's challenging for the deer population to rebound uh, when uh, the the wolf population, as well as the black bears, as well as uh, other predators, uh, bobcats, whatever else, uh, you know. Cr- it's just it's just hard for deer to bounce back under those circumstances. Yeah, he he had one item in here about the DNR. You know, he said the DNR needs to do a bunch of things, and I didn't agree with all of it. Uh, one thing that I I would agree with him on is he he says uh, you know there there needs to be a sense of urgency within the state natural resources managers in terms of of helping deer and and obviously we're stuck until the feds delist the wolves right i mean you know that's that's been the kind of the cop-out for the state but even at that it does seem like you know the dnr is just kind of disinterested even talking about it uh, when it is absolutely an issue it's it's one issue and, and i didn't agree with everything dennis had in this piece but i i think uh, we can't we can't ignore the wolf issue anymore with that amount of time everybody have a great thanksgiving we'll talk to you again in seven days Thanks for tuning in. This has been WCCO Outdoors.